This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast, brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts. Um, you get a 10% discount with them. If you listen to this show, we use code TOTD10 at checkout. Um, I'm Wayne Barton, joined as always by former Manchester United defender Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you very much, Wayne. Good stuff. Um, nice to talk to you after a week off, um, international week for us. Unfortunately, Paul, you're no longer... Um, playing for the national team, although we could probably do with you. Um, um, yeah, and we're also joined by the wonderful Paddy Barkley. Um, how are you doing, Paddy? Very well indeed, thanks. Yeah, you're quite right about uh, Paul. Uh, having we were speaking just after England's uh, defeat in uh, in Belgium, and yes, uh, once again Parker P was conspicuous by his absence. <laughs> well, once again, the obituary for the last 25 years. <laughs> Every time England lose, people say, well, if Paul Parker been there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple of sombre notes to talk about to, on, the, on this um, podcast to start off with. Um, first of all, we did talk about Nobby Styles' passing on the last episode, but he was laid to rest last week. And as per the COVID guidelines and the family's wishes, something a little bit more solemn to see the funeral procession past Old Trafford with very few present. Um, Paddy, as I said, Paul and I spoke about Nobby on the last episode, but tell us your memories of one of English football's most distinctive characters. Well, I didn't know him personally, although you know people uh, of, of his era connected with Manchester United always gave updates on his condition and in the last few years I'm afraid there was never one that wasn't gloomy um, it, even uh, three or four or five years ago his great friend and brother-in-law John Giles um, you know spoke of Nobby with a wistful sort of look and a shake of the head and, 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 and just sympathy um, rather than the great friendship which they enjoyed for so long and which Nobby enjoyed with so many people around Manchester United he was he was very much the essence of Manchester United, you know, Catholic boy from Collyhurst, from you know, old Manchester United, if 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 you if you see what I mean, um, and uh, of course he was he was there at uh, the historic moment when the plane crashed in 1958. He was one of the young boys, uh, as was John Giles, uh, on uh, in the youth policy at that time, and uh, Nobby and. Uh, uh, and John Giles uh, were called in by um, by the staff, Bill Inglis, and, and so on, um, and broke the bad news. Uh, as always with teenagers, you know, you you're not really equipped by experience to assimilate bad news, and you always think you, you don't quite realise how bad it is, mm. and uh, only with experience does that come. And and they sort of nervously joked. Um, you know, if a couple of the lads have broken their legs, um, maybe we'll get a, a, a lift up to the A team or, you know, the reserve team or, or, the, or the senior youth team. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until, a, a, you know, the hours as the hours went by that they, as, as well as the rest of Manchester, assimilated the news. As a player, it, 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 um, he was, uh, well, it's been well documented. He, although he gave the ball to players as he saw it who could play better and that was certainly the instructions that he was given by Murphy and Busby uh, but quite honestly in nine teams out of ten he could have been the better player that people gave the ball to if you see what I mean yeah. um, in other words you could have had Remy Moses giving the ball to Nobby Styles 
to to pass and and spread the play and create. He was he was a definitely good enough player um, to play as an attacking midfield player, which is what he started as sort of inside forward or attacking wing half. Um, he became a centre half, or even though he was tiny. Yeah, uh, don't have a go at that, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have your spring, but he was, uh, or quite your pace, but uh, uh, in every other way, uh, superb footballer. Dare I say it, uh, you couldn't probably, Paul, have played attacking midfield as well as Nobby Styles, and because and, and he really was a superb player. And, and as I say, in any other team, he'd been one of the, one of the stars rather than... Uh, uh, the cement that held the team together and let's be honest about it kicked a few um, <laughs> uh, it's, you know it's well well known that he reduced Eusebio to tears although it's possible that Eusebio was crying because he's just lost the European Cup fi- uh, sorry a World Cup semi-final uh, rather than uh, uh, or was it a quarter-final I can't remember uh, rather than um, that he just had his uh, shins addressed uh, by young Norbert. But, uh, no, a wonderful character, uh, great bloke, as you know, everybody who met him said that. And really, the soul of Manchester, the soul of Manchester United, just, uh, uh, just, uh, it, it just very, very sad that his last few years were so distressing for him and for all around him. And... I'm sorry to have to say this, but I'm, I'm I'm glad that his torment is over. No, yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, something that we can agree with, and that's the um, it was the overriding feeling whenever anybody inquired about Nobby over the last few years mm. that he was the you know he was suffering. So it was it is good that we're now. I, I do think when people are ill like that, especially someone in the public eye, it brings a quicker refocusing of the of what they did and a celebration of what they did while they're still here. And I, I think that Nobby, if he wasn't aware of that or if he wasn't told of that, at least we did that. A lot, a lot of people did that and appreciated him. In, in the same way... A lot of people tried to do it. worked very hard on that, yes, which is a good thing. Yeah, in the same way that, you know, a lot of people are doing the same for Sir Bobby at the moment. Um, and it's yes. good It's good that people are, are doing that. Um, but, you know... It's like we said, we talked about him last week, and I always find one quote really funny, Nob, uh, Paddy, about Nobby is that mm-hmm. he, he said that um, Jimmy Murphy was the nuts and bolts of Manchester United, but in the same way, he was describing himself, wasn't he? Yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. Just one little side note, um, which goes back to uh, Munich in a way um, the, the late Harry Gregg um, uh, claims a lot of credit for, for Nobby's career. Um, he didn't actually put it this way, but he did tell me a story that um, one time, you, you know, Matt had the habit, um, which a lot of managers do now, of, uh, of, of bringing youngsters on the team bus to make them feel part of the, mm. the scene. And Matt was very much into that. And one day they were going to our game and, uh, and Harry noticed that the young boys were all at the back playing cards. And Harry noticed that... Um, that, that Nobby was holding his cards right up to his face. Um, and uh, he wasn't wearing glasses at that time. And uh, he thought, yeah, this guy's got a, an eyesight problem. So he went to him and he said, uh, you know, pulled him aside quietly. And he said, you know, you, and he said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. You know, just, just 
that's just the way I hold my cards and all that. And Greg just kept going on and on and on with him. And um, uh, eventually, um, he confessed that he didn't like wearing glasses because when he was at school, he, being a wee lad, he was bullied a bit and called Specky and Four Eyes and all the, the kind of stuff. And um, so he, he would try as hard as possible to to use his eyes, sorry, to utilize his eyes without, um, without specs. And Harry Gregg went to Busby and said, uh, reported this, and, uh, and Busby took action, and uh, eventually he got those famous contact lenses that were used to, uh, used to such an effect in the celebrations of the World Cup triumph. Um, so, you know, he got, Nobby got just a little bit of help, a bit, a bit of tough love from Harry Gregg. Um, and uh, Matt ordered a visit to the psychiatrist, uh, psychiatrist, <laughs> to the optician. <laughs> My goodness, that was not a Freudian slip. Um, uh, to the, <laughs> sorry, to the optician. And uh, Nobby got his uh, eyesight problems addressed. And uh, as I say, that. The rest is history. Yeah, Nobby, um, determined fellow that he was, not quite the controversial character that George Best was, <laughs> with the recommendation to, to see a shrink was um, applied in later. Um, thing. Um, a couple of other sombre notes before we get into the, the football, um, which will traditionally start sombre anyway. Um, Albert Quicksall, another Busby babe, in some respects, because uh, he, he certainly would have been if um, without a need for the qualification of a signing. If Bert Wally had uh, had his way, he was scouted right. on a beach in Blackpool, um, but Quicksall said he'd already agreed to sign for Sheffield Wednesday. Mm-hmm. He was Matt Busby's first signing after Munich, club record fee. Um, we talked about Alex Dawson a few weeks ago, um, and he's another of these players who did well to lead the line through um, some very emotionally charged years. And um, I've said that basically every one of those goals that those players scored is basically like a trophy because mm-hmm. um, what they didn't get in trophy counts, they most certainly, you know, those appearances and goals. Uh, were worth the weight in gold um, also on that note um, should note the passing of <laughs> a player who had plenty of silverware um, Ray Clemens world class legendary goalkeeper of Liverpool and Spurs possibly even more impressive than the five league titles and three European Cups which I still believe is a record for an English goalkeeper was the 61 England Cups he managed to wrestle away from Peter Shilton <laughs> in, yeah. in a golden era for, for the position in that country and, and really Clemens and Shilton were synonymous with um, establishing by in in just two yes. players they established British goalkeeping as the best in the world for maybe twenty years, didn't they? So that's that's absolutely right, and uh, no doubt for uh, the best red reasons. You haven't mentioned that even the third best goalkeeper in England at that time, Joe Corrigan, uh, <laughs> uh, of this parish. Um, uh, you know that's another example. I mean, Corrigan could have had fifty, sixty mm. caps. You know, in a less uh, gilded era, but mm. uh, as you rightly say, 61 caps for Clements in the era of Shilton is phenomenal. Absolutely, and so um, tremendously sad that um, another legend of the game passed uh, away. Uh, as a superman as well, I did have the privilege of knowing um, Ray Clements and the most genial, friendly, um, cheerful character you could ever meet. Yeah. Um, right, let's talk about the um, the 
modern football, um, which, as everyone says, modern football is rubbish, and it, it bloody was in Turkey, Paul. Um, <laughs> Istanbul, a, a result that United might get away with, actually, but um, a goal conceded that some players might not. Um, that first goal um, up there with the worst... And we've we've talked a lot in this sort of two years that you and I have been doing this podcast <laughs> about new standards for the worst thing that we've seen at United. And it's not exaggeration because you look at a goal like the first one that we conceded in Turkey. I don't th- and we have talked about some base level bad goals, but that is up there, isn't it? That was really bad. Yeah, I mean that was that was shocking. I think someone used the words about eight, you wouldn't see eight year old football. Well, I don't <laughs> think you'd I don't think you'd actually see that. At any level, first, second division, National League, pub football, because the one thing that those players who go and play that, because first and foremost, we know where they play their heart, definitely in those divisions, you have to, otherwise you don't survive. But the one thing they do is they communicate with each other, mm. and their organisation skills are absolutely different, different class at that level for what they have to do to succeed or to survive. And now, and someone would have said, I think it was a, I think I said this before, it was a second, third phase of play from a, an attacking corner. Yeah. Why doesn't one of the players, why doesn't, let's say, the captain realise the situation, realise what time in the game it was, and say himself say, I'm going to get back because I think I need to defend, or turn around and say to two Nzabi, get back. Why both of them need to be in that box? Mm. I don't understand and as I've said before I think I was, I'm so disappointed about two and Zabi becoming the scapegoat and having to come off yeah. I just I really worry for me it didn't it Paul it, it did definitely seem like he was yeah. the one being held accountable for it yeah it was a worries a young player yeah, it worries me with young players and I'll use this phrase again is that I sir, um, the boss come up to me and when I thought myself right I'm ready now to get get involved I think I'm ready I've done enough the boss said to me I can't leave out Gary Neville Paul he goes the way he's been playing and the way things are going if I take him out now it could affect his confidence as being a young player mm. I wasn't happy at the time but as you go on you understand it and you look at what the club's been about and you realise it was about the football club not about Paul Parker and I look at that and I think to myself that, that's, that wasn't good for him considering how well he'd done in the game against PSG and then he's brought back in for that game after again a big gap in between which should never have been allowed to happen I know I've gone off track but it's worried me because his next game he plays in is so important because him coming off the back of being seen like he's been given the blame for them going one nil down. Mm. Paddy, what do you think of that? I mean, you, you've lived through an era, and we, we've both recounted that era of Manchester United being relegated. So you would presume that defensively they weren't very good um, in, in those troubled years when when they were in in the middle of transition. But you see a goal like they conceded in that first one that they conceded in Turkey, where where nobody was in our entire off, and you got Matic chasing yeah. Denver Ball in some kind yeah. of Benny Hill sketch. I know. There's there's no excuse this time. I mean, uh, uh, you know, if you go back to yes, the Busby era, the relegation. Yes, I mean, the, the, there were much greater problems there than there are now but <clears throat> what the, the worry now is that the age structure and it's it, uh, by the way I, I use the word worry in a in a Manchester United i.e. we've got to be the best team in the world yeah. context um, most sports and most clubs wouldn't think Manchester United are in a crisis but um, well sorry wouldn't think their team was in a crisis if they were playing like Manchester United yeah. but the age structure of the team is fantastic 
Um, it, it doesn't really need, on, on the face of it, you don't need many changes. Who's, who's too old to play in that team? The only player that might be over the hill, and, and it's probably just because he needs a, a change of club, is the goalkeeper. But, yeah. I mean, everybody else is, should be at their prime. But I don't think, uh, uh, I don't think Pogba's going to have a prime. And, uh, and, and that the, my worry is that, that apart from Bruno Fernandes, that, that nobody's really uh, playing consistently well. Uh, I, and yet the performance at Everton was, if, if you looked at Everton in, in isolation, you'd say this team's title contenders. If you looked at the Istanbul game in isolation, you'd say, is this team from England or Luxembourg? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. You know, and, and this is the same team. And that is the worry because I, I, I was shocked by the uh, performance at Everton. Shocked in a, in a good way from the United point of view. I fancied Everton like hell for that game. They'd had two defeats and you thought, well, that team that good shouldn't lose three games in a row with a manager like Ancelotti. Yeah. And home advantage in as much as that matters. Um, and United go out. Uh, I think did Everton score first? I yeah, think they did. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Everton score first, and United go out and beat them heavily. I mean, convincingly, uh, with a tremendous performance. Now, Solskjaer in recent games, I, I'm not a great uh, believer in the body language and the, you know trying to be an amateur psychologist. But the last few games, I've looked at Solskjaer on the bench, particularly Istanbul, and he looks. I was going to say vacant, but I would say, looks. I think a better word would be empty. In other words, this team has emptied him of all hope and optimism. And yet, they've come out and produce a performance like that. He, very interesting what he says afterwards, he's ranting and raving about the games to, if it had been a three o'clock kickoff or yes. something instead of 12.30. You know, absolute, you know, cobblers. Turkey, oh, we had to come back from Turkey. Oh, what a shame. Uh, people would love to be coming back from Turkey. They'd love to be going there for the holidays, you know? I mean, for goodness sake, it's Turkey. It's not Australia. Yeah. Um, uh, it, but that was because he couldn't say what he really... But, and again, I'm being an amateur psychologist. What he really wanted to say was, and I'll, I'll say it without swearing, if these people can come out with a performance like that, why do they come out with a performance like we got last time? Yeah. Why, why don't they try, they're paid enough, why don't they try every week? They're driving me mad, they're killing me. That's what I think was really on his mind, other than all that, you know, you know special pleading about uh, the world's out to get, you know, the TV authorities are out to get them and all that kind of stuff. No, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And... Um, yeah. <laughs> You don't want to make the comparisons, but it was classic Ferguson deflection. It was Ferguson, yeah. absolutely. That was good. I, I must say, I think any Manchester United fan would would love, uh, would have loved that because it would have reminded them of, of Ferguson. And I, I do think that that Solskjaer's got a bit of that, but he's not. He's, Sorry. he's not got the nasty side. You know, he's not got the power yet. Um, uh, Ferguson would not be putting up with this from. I was going to say the board, but I don't know if United have a board. I think they've just got Ed Woodward and a, and a manager yeah. from, the, from the looks of it. And a magic but wand. Um, it, but Ferguson would be dominating everybody at the club now. And, and, and 
Orlay probably doesn't feel that he's earned the right to do that. Yeah. Interesting one, Paul, the, the game at Everton, because obviously you were looking at United to come out with a response, and maybe we've seen two or three times already in Solskjaer's reign that he looked like he was on the brink and I would say that we were probably there again Like with me thinking well, if we lose here, if we lose heavily then on Monday's show we're probably not going to be talking about Ole as manager anymore um, but he pulled it out of the bag and as, he, as we've discussed before it seemed like he did that by picking the team to win the game and not just the players to fit the system um, and that's something that we have talked about before do you think that the pennies dropped with Ollie that that's the way that he's got to do things moving forward it might it might be the way to move forward but it's the wrong way it doesn't win your leagues mm-hmm. continuity wins your leagues without a shadow of a doubt having players around who you know are going to be there week in week out and if he's having to play around all the time and rely on certain players to try and get him over the line those if they're not going to they're not going to win you a league so what what are you talking about you're talking that he believes that he he knows he can get 100% from Fred and from Atomane great they're going to win you the odd games, but they're not going to win your leagues if you play them no. consistently. That is the that is the biggest problem. And just going back, you know, what Paddy was kind of, you know, alluded to, what Ollie really wanted to say. What Ollie, what you just said there, Paddy, is something that managers in today's football can't say because the players can't deal with it anymore. They won't deal with it. They will. They do not want anything that they see is putting them in a bad light. And so. And that's the biggest problem while of my era and prior to my era, maybe just after my era, you know, those players, the Gary Nevilles and all them, if Sir Alex had come out and if he'd come out publicly and said something about us in a previous game, mm. um, compared to, you know, and I'm sure he did along those lines of when we got knocked out of the Champions League at Galatasaray the following weekend, we played Man City away at Main Road. We go two, we're 2-0 down at half-time. He goes absolutely mad at us at half-time, walks out, leaves it all to kiddo. Leaves it all to kiddo. Yeah. He's just like, get on with it, you, you sort it out. And then, oh yeah, and as he, <laughs> this has led me to saying, else just reminded me, as he's walking out, a certain gentleman was walking past the dressing room, he throws him in there and says, you sort them out, you tell them what to do, they're, they're crap, virtually saying they're crap. That gentleman who he threw into the dressing room was Warren Clark. <laughs> Warren Clark virtually uses to the word to the uses the words kind of I don't give an effing whatever because I'm I'm a blue I'm happy and and that's and that's what happened and that's that's gospel that's what happened Warren Clark come into that dressing room at half time he was just walking past the, the other dressing room door not the one you know any anyway but we go out second half and we're you know we 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 scored three goals we win the game. But I'm sure that he would have wanted. He would have said something afterwards. But we we wouldn't sulk about it. We'd want to shove it straight back down his throat again and prove a point. Yeah, that, that's yeah. fair enough. But there is a difference, Paul, isn't there, in um, in what you say uh, privately, what you say publicly. See, even mm. Ferguson probably. You know, there, there was a famous incident where he lambasted Aberdeen after they'd won a cup final. He lambasted his players for not entertaining the, the, the crowd, and he apologised for that later. And, and 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 I don't think he did it too often. Even Ferguson, there's somebody with his with you know phenomenal cred, um, couldn't get away with battering them in public week no. after week after week. Um, 
and certainly Solskjaer can't get away with it really at all. Because, I mean, these guys are on long contracts of fantastic... You know, it, it costs 20, 30 million to, to even the, some of the bad ones to buy them out of their contracts and throw them on the scrap heap where they, some of them deserve to be. And um, it, it's, it, it is a much more, a much more difficult... Quite, that, quite apart from the psychological side of it, that, that young men don't like to be, you know, they're a bit... Um, uh, pampered? Uh, pampered and, yeah. uh, and flabby uh, mentally um, these days. Where, yeah, it's, 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 it's me as a parent, it's people before me parents, it's what we, we it's the way that brought our, bringing our kids up now compared it, it, to what it was it, before. Well, that's that's exactly that's exactly true, Paul. Now, and, and I'll probably sound like an old fogey saying it, but but you don't. And and the the it, it is true that um, in the old well, it, say forty thirty years ago, um, let's say thirty years ago, um, to find a footballer who was flabby mentally would be unusual because they were burnished in the heat of competition. Their characters had to be hard and uh, tempered like steel, you know, for them to get even a game for a, a team in the league too. You really mm. had to be hard to get through because everybody else wanted everybody wanted to be a footballer. Now, you can't find uh, the, the majority of them are quite flabby mentally. Uh, over fifty percent of footballers, I would say, you have to cuddle them because if you don't cuddle them. Their agents will. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Talking okay. about um, flabby mentalities, um, I just want to read a quote from... You might think that this is great because it sounds like unity. Paul Pogba's quotes from the weekend. We are very happy to come here. It's not the same as with the club. We all group together. It is magical. Unfortunately, he's talking about the French national team and not <laughs> Manchester United. Um <laughs> Paddy, talk to me about this one. You, you are, yeah. you, you obviously. Well, I, I, I consider. I mean, I, I believe he's a nice fella and all that, but um, he, he, he just, it, it just doesn't seem to be. I, I honestly think Man United should have sold him two, three years ago. I think mm. they brought upon themselves the most terrible problems, um, yeah. and I can't understand why Woodward. I would really love to know. Why Woodward is so wedded to him? Mm. I mean, I just can't understand it. D does anybody go out and buy shirts with Pogba on the back? I don't. I mean, it's not Lionel Messi. There's yeah. no. It's not even um, uh, Park. You know, who, who who sold shirts all over yeah. uh, Korea. You know, th there is no reason. And I'm, listen, I'm not having a go at Park. Park is the opposite, probably, of Pogba in terms of uh, team. Uh, oriented uh, uh, ability, but um, I, I'm not comparing them like with like. But I'm not saying I just can't understand what the attraction in Pogba is. Fantastic ability. If you wanted a performing seal uh, <laughs> for the circus, I would uh, I, I would choose him ahead of just about any other footballer in the world. But to play alongside me, I. He must drive them bloody mad. And what's more, he gives the ball away in the wrong situations. He taunt constantly turning the wrong way. I've never seen a player turn the wrong way so often. 
And I'm talking about bad players, let alone players of sublime talent and physique like Pogba. Yeah. He just, he just has this, it's almost like an anti-footballing brain. But that, do you know the other thing with that is that those kind of things United have, United supporters have sort of grown to tolerate because you want to see him come good. That's the idea: patience that the players are going to turn it around. Football is not a beauty contest. No, no, absolutely not. And then the point is that that's, that'd be all right if he was dedicated to the cause. But now I want to put something into context here because he's out talking about his future. You know, I've got no doubt in the next couple of days someone's going to say he's come out of context. He didn't mean it like that. But come on. Dennis Law, Brian Robson, Roy Keane, all of those players, they all flirted with transfer speculation at some point before the club called time on them. But Law earned the right to feel as though he should be top earner. So too did Robson, so too did Roy Keane. Now, I don't know if, and we were talking about Paul Pogba's ratio of good games. He's played 170 since he returned. I don't think he's had 10, 17, 10% good games since no. he's been back at the club. And I think... Paul, we're getting to the point where you can see that United are more fluid and less ponderous without him in the team. And I get your point, what you're saying about not being able to challenge for a title with McTominay and Fred, and I'm with you on that. I'm talking about emergency um, band-aiding for game-to-game moving forward. I'm completely with you on you need a consistent 11 and, and all that kind of thing. I'm just saying horses for courses this squad that Ollie's got, he needs to be sort of shifting it up every single game. And as we've seen, even last season or the season before, Paul Pogba doesn't contribute to the best Manchester United team that we've got. Well, I mean, I think what's, going, what's happening now is that to get even more from his players, he's, he's had to make a big decision and that was to leave him out. And that's mostly other players, it makes them think. You know, he's a big name and it makes them think about, oh, blimey, okay. And you leave out Paul Pogba, that, that, that makes a statement. And then what you find is, though, Manchester United shift the ball quicker. The most successful sides shift the ball quicker in midfield. United are seriously ponderous, starting from the back. They're ponderous to get it to midfield. So what you need to do, you might, you know, Fernandes, when he That's gets... That's why Fernandes has improved the team so much. Yeah. yeah. Because he goes and gets the ball from them because he because they're not good enough with it to move it forward quick enough or confident enough he virtually goes and demands it from them it moves quicker when you get Matage in there as well Matage in that gap with gets the ball from them and he's the one who can find Fernandez that works without a doubt I think Van der Beek I think somewhere I think he's going to have to now fit him in he's gone and scored again for his country. Mm. I think he needs to play him because he could lose him mentally if he doesn't do it. Because the lad, you know, the lad has, hasn't just come from a Dutch team. He's come, he's come away from Ajax where he was a regular. Mm. And it doesn't matter what anybody ever says about Ajax. As far as I'm concerned, Ajax are one of the biggest named teams in the world mm. who's, who, yes. have, who I, have had incredible footballers from all different eras. Well, their players, you know, regularly go to Real Madrid, Barcelona and become well-beaters. Yeah. I mean, Luis Suarez went to Liverpool and became a world beater. I mean, uh, the, the, if you've been through Ajax, the Ajax system, you, you should be in the first team at Manchester United. You shouldn't be being bought for the bench. Yeah. yeah. No, yes, correct. The, the, the thing as well, you, you mentioned Van der Beek there and, and Paul Pogba. The argument for Paul for so many years has been, oh, how do you construct the midfield to get the best out of Paul Pogba? It's like you've both said there. It's becoming. To, it seems like it's becoming the the bigger point that putting Paul Pogba in makes Fernandez play worse. 
Yeah, I've I've changed. I've I've had to change. I'm willing to put my hand up now. It must be must be an age thing, but you know it isn't going to happen for him now. It isn't going to happen for Paul Pogba at Manchester United. And when you, I've tried so many times to believe that you get him at the top, say the top of a diamond more, mm. so he only affects the people, the front players. Don't let him get on the ball in midfield where he could lose it and could get counter attack. Just keep him in that final third where his quick feet can make things happen. I think to myself yeah. he's becoming a liability. He has become a liability. And when you look at him and. Paddy, you said it all there, really. When 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 he come to Manchester United, I looked at it and I just saw it shirt sales, and it mostly went quite well. But the problem is, I don't think there'd be many people buying Pogba shirts in France. No, no, definitely and not. and and definitely and definitely not in Asia, which has got the biggest yeah. market in the world. So on that side of it, no. So the value in him. Yeah. Is zilch really because you've got almost nothing on a marketing side, and as a football point of view, you're getting nothing back in return. In no, fact, he, no. in fact, he's owing. He's owing. He's actually owing. He's in he debt. Is owing. He is owing. I think he is. Um, it, it struck me watching a couple of his games recently that he's he's, he's probably quite near the top of the Premier League table for assists, but they're not assists for Man United. They're mm. assists for the opposition <laughs> because when he gives. When he gives the ball away, it, you know, there's, there's all lots of sayings, and, 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 and Paul, you must have been told by coaches, you know, you, you must have heard coaches telling the teams that you were playing for, give the ball away, but give it away in the final third, because that's not going to hurt us. Well, that's only true if the rest of the team is prepared for the counter-attack. Even giving the ball away in their, in your final, in their, the opposition's last third is dangerous now. If, like Paul Pogba, you don't chase back. What he does, he does, have you noticed this? He does this stupid little trot, you know? He, he <laughs> runs about two or three yards, which is not fooling anybody, and then does a sort of little shuffle and, and stops. It is... I've <laughs> just so much about him. That is the complete opposite. The French went through this uh, process that Paul Parker has gone through, and which we've all gone through, I think. Uh, which is of saying, oh, yeah, but if you put him deep and use his long passing, which is brilliant, if, if, you know, can be brilliant, um, uh, then that would be the best way of using him, especially as he's strong and, and powerful and, and can win a tackle, if he bothers to use his tackling ability. But these are all the big ifs. And then you say, well, no, no, play him to the left like they did in uh, Juventus. Yeah. Juventus. Because he likes being on the left because he can come in and whack it with his right foot. And once you start <laughs> making special positions for players, you know you're in trouble. But yet Juventus got success from him playing in that role. France, even during the World Cup, it was quite funny watching them saying, well, he's, he can't play there. Next game, we'll try him somewhere else. And then finally, I think, I may be wrong, and Didier Deschamps would, would obviously say, you know, might say you're talking absolute rubbish, well, I think what they did, it looked to me that what they'd done was say, look, we've got 10 players who stick to their disciplines, from Loris in goal to Giroud up front. We can afford to have him just, uh, as they used to say, of, uh, uh, as, as Graham Taylor used to say about, um, about uh, Paul Gascoigne, I, I just want you dropping hand grenades, running around the pitch dropping hand grenades. And... And, and I think that was the way France sort of played 10-man football with Paul Pogba adorning things as and when he felt like it. Now, I don't think that's going to win the league for Man United. It did win the World Cup for France. 
Well, he's dropping hand grenades in our own box because he's conceded <laughs> three penalties so far this season. Oh, and, and that pen, don't get me started on that penalty. I mean, for goodness sake. I mean, a silly tackle. Paul, you know, God. I mean, well, you wouldn't have made that tackle. But no, it, no, you wouldn't have. Wait, you wouldn't have made that tackle when you were two and a half years old. No, no, no I mean, he was, he, was go, he was going to the corner flag. I don't know why he done it. I mean, he's given away, he's given away a handball, a sloppy handball. I think it was against West Ham as well. And you think to yourself, that was just naive. And you look at him and you want to have a go at him, but then you look at him, you kind of go, no, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to bother because I don't think you're bothered. Yes. I don't think you're bothered. You're not going to hang your head in shame. You're going to carry on. You're mostly going to put on your Twitter account, sorry about that, let's go again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're kind of going, what, what, no, no. you don't bother. No, no, Paul, just go. Paul, 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 I'm saying. No, don't mm. go again. Just go for the first time. <laughs> That's all we're asking. <laughs> I'm laughing, but um, it's with a tragic undertone because, well, you know, I'm... I'm you, you are well I am as a United fan I'm investing hope of it turning round and, and so we we do go again West Brom uh, Old Trafford and Paul the cocktail and the ingredients are all there for one of football's greatest banana slips West Brom haven't won all season United haven't won at home all season all the signs point to nil-nil don't they well, everything's going there for something negative anyway. I mean, there's been so many records broken since Sir Alex retired at Old Trafford. It's incredible how many teams have come and won at Old Trafford for the first time, isn't it? I think David Moyes had one with Swansea and things like that. There was a, quite a few in David Moyes' time. But this game... Paul, Paul, it's funny you say that. West Brom were the first under Moyes. It was like the 5-3 in the 70s. So yeah. it was like 30-odd years that they hadn't won. And um, yeah, yeah. they were the first to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, this one does look... I mean, I was at West... I went to um, Brighton, West Brom. I was seriously impressed with West Brom in the second half. They've really come back. Another five minutes, they would have beaten Brighton 2-1. They absolutely battered them in the second half. But I think it's got to the point now where I look at West Brom. I mean, they've only got a single point. Is that correct? Is yes. that correct? They've only got yes, a single... It's the same story against Fulham, uh, yeah. Paul, that, that they... Um, uh, my advice to Man United would be Try and get a few goals and uh, get your goals nice and early because West Ham or uh, West Brom uh, don't give up. They're still playing, you know, yeah. at, at the end of the game. I, I think this. I mean, when you've got someone like Billage as your manager, I think he's one of those managers who you want to play for. It's one of those ones he you see him, and despite what you can see, how emotional he is about the game and how it's draining him. I watched him first time I saw him on a touchline. I mean, I've met him. I, I've met. I think I played against him when I was at Derby and was West I played yeah. against him at being a Derby but I watched him and I remember seeing him as a manager during that Croatia game during that Croatia game it was that game that game I'm going to say it but it's one of those ones we remember 2006 yeah and he was on that touchline it was bucketing down and you could see him there all those young great players and he was just out there didn't have to stand there could have sat back and got a brolly and had a cigar under a brolly not a cup of tea a cigar it would have been absolutely <laughs> it would have been absolutely he could have but he didn't because he still wants to play the game and you could see and that's and that's the kind of manager is that's a rarity i think in today's in today's football i was like that with someone like sir bobby robson you wanted to play and if you didn't you did something wrong or you didn't win you was kind of you, you felt sorry but you felt it was you let him down and he's got that village but i'm worried that because of what happened at the end of last season 
but he's on he's on the brink now of maybe losing his job because he's not getting that win. And as well as well, we're looking at the way football's is not good at the moment. It's all wrong. What's going on with no one in there and the atmosphere and the players are struggling. You're not getting consistency as a team or individuals. I think that they're going to turn around and say, well, we've got to make a change, even though a change isn't going to make a great deal of difference in this football climate. I don't think. No, Paddy, Paddy um, West Brom three points this season. One of those points came in that um, epic game they played against Chelsea, where they were three 0 up and threw it away. But you, I'm not saying that you're going to see West Brom go three 0 up at Old Trafford, but you wouldn't. And I don't, know, don't want to be too negative, but I'm, I'm talking about the unpredictability of the league. You wouldn't rule that out, no. really. And that's it's difficult to sort of ascertain where you are with this league at the moment. Yes, it is. And I mean, I just think that if Manchester United turn up, they'll win. Um, If Manchester United play with the ability they showed against Everton, with the commitment, with the team spirit that they showed uh, at at Goodison, um, I I think, of course, that that, that they should win. But they will have to match West Brom for for all those attributes, uh, for, for, for... for United's vastly superior firepower to prevail. If they do, I don't see any problems. I'm, I'm less nervous than you are, for obvious reasons. Yeah, because <laughs> it means it means more to you. Oh yeah, the, the, the old um, for adage, it means more. But I mean that yeah. that is the thing. It's it is the basics um, at United, um, which you wouldn't think that difficult to implement. But apparently they are. But we've been saying that for six years, seven years, probably. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the biggest question mark that we go into with um, the week's game, uh, weekend's games, really. Plus um, United all over, like I said, it's the last seven years, and we're no long, uh, no closer to sort of knowing where they are on the ladder of progression and than what we have been at any point in seven years. And we have, Paul and I have spoken on this podcast about being Ole in and supporting him and giving him the time and seeing the sort of fruits of what he's trying to um, grow there. But at the same time, you do also see the same old problems sort of handicapping the manager and it becomes a race against time before the next sort of transfer window or before Edward Wood gets his um, itchy tr- trigger finger out. And, <laughs> you know, it's... Um, that perpetuating cycle um, but yeah that's it for this week guys um, thanks to Paddy and for Paul uh, for their time as always uh, remember if you want a discount with the um, with Classic Football Shirts it's TOTD10 uh, with Classic Football Shirts that's the website it's an online discount if you've enjoyed the show give us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts you will have to get reviewing um, if you want to be involved in future competition prizes uh, giveaways for books and everything like that I'm thinking of doing something for Christmas but that's going to be um, open for people who've reviewed on Apple Podcasts so make sure that you do that to be eligible um, that's it, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week to talk about the, the game against West Brom and the um, return game against Istanbul